This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. I called Diana at the adoption agency, and I was like, okay, we need to have a real talk. I'm gay. I have a partner. She's pregnant. As of this morning. Within a span of less than 72 hours, Jillian Michaels became a mom twice over. While her partner was in labor with their son, Jillian received an email that it was finally time after years of waiting to pick up their daughter from an orphanage in Haiti. This story is incredible, it's unique, it's special, and we are so excited to bring it to you today. Jillian Michaels is a health and fitness expert. She's the creator of the fitness app and she's the host of Keeping It Real. She's also a mother of two. In May of 2012, her then-partner Heidi Rhodes delivered their son Phoenix by C-section after more than 28 hours of labor. And a few days later, brand-new mom Jillian was on a flight to Haiti to pick up Lucenzia, who she'd been visiting at the orphanage for months. And that's after years of trying to adopt. In other words, Jillian's road to motherhood was long. It was also filled with frustration, tears, and literal piles of paperwork. I had to get, like, Letters from the police, chest x-rays, blood work. Like, they literally crawl inside you and look around. Like, everything and anything you've ever done in your life goes on record. This is an emotional story. Spoiler alert, we both cry. We talk about the toll of envisioning your family, literally seeing the tiny person you want to be yours, and the forces that seem to be keeping you apart. It's also an inspiring and a joyful story. Jillian wants to help people, and she wants to help would-be adoptive parents see the beauty in forming a family similarly to how she did. And for me, talking to Jillian was a reminder that celebrity adoption isn't some fairy tale. So yes, Jillian became a mom to a son and a daughter within just a few days, and neither of those children came to her in the quote-unquote standard ways, but she insists she wouldn't have it any other way. This is Me Becoming Mom, where we talk to famous women you know and love all about their extraordinary journeys to motherhood. I'm Zoe Ruderman from People. I want to know, did you always want to be a mom? No. (laughs) So when did that desire or that realization come to you? It came late in the game. I, I worked on a television show where I moved in with families for a week. There was a little girl named Lily who had to have been the world's cutest like nine-year-old. And I remember thinking, I wonder if I am missing the point, you know? Like, am I going to get to the end of my life and think, I wish I'd spent more days in the office? So that definitely opened the door. And then in 2010, I went to Africa. Uh, on vacation, ended up at an orphanage um, because I was afraid to bungee jump over the Zambezi <laughs> River. Um, and there happened to be one across from where we were staying. And this is before I knew or had the knowledge that you, you don't, you're not supposed to go visit orphanages. I just thought, oh, I'll go bring school supplies. Um, but I can't say I'm sorry because it begot the process of pursuing international adoption. Um, That was in Zambia and Zambia was, and I'm 
guessing is probably still closed to international adoption. So we began a program in the Congo, wasted a ton of time, got nowhere. Um, and about a year after that, Heidi, my, my ex, found out that Haiti was open. And then the story actually begins. But that was, I want to say, a year and a half into it at that point. Was it incredibly frustrating, you know, once you got to this point where you and Heidi said, we want to adopt, we want to do this, to be met with obstacles at what sounds like every turn? How did that feel? You know, I don't want to discourage anyone. And and the thing of it is, it's expensive as well. International adoption is expensive. Um, I would strongly encourage people. There are 100,000 children in America right now who need to be adopted, whose parental rights have been terminated. It costs you nothing and the kids are in need. I decided that I had this additional gift, call it what you will, judge it how you choose to. But, you know, people talk about white privilege. I don't need to touch that, but I've always appreciated American privilege. Um, I always was cognizant of the fact that if I had been born in another country, you know, my, my dad's Syrian, I knew what was going on in the world in Syria. I mean, if I had been born in Syria as a gay female, I mean, I'd be dead, dead. I knew that I had this card, this gift I could give, which is citizenship. So I thought, you know what? I've got this like this awesome gift I can give and I want to adopt. So why not? I have the means, I have the time, I'm going to do it. But there were certain aspects of it that are difficult unnecessarily. I know from friends who have gone through the adoption process that being a same-sex couple adopting internationally can be really challenging and have a lot of obstacles. Did you also come up against those obstacles? Was it hard trying to adopt in certain countries? I adopted as a single parent. Okay. In case you didn't notice the timeline, I came out after she was adopted. And was that very much on purpose? Yeah. So I adopted as a single parent and then Heidi adopted her once she was in the States. Got it. So once you decided on Haiti, what did that process look like? Wow. So we waited. I wish I could remember the exact timeline. I want to say at least six months. And in that time, we were probably right around a year and a half. And Heidi was like, okay, I can't with this anymore. Like we've been together three years now. I'm ready to get pregnant. I want a kid. And you know, I was like, all right, I, I support you. Like if, if, if that's what, how it's meant to be like, great. And if someone wants their own child, like fantastic. I don't care. I'll adopt that kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, whatever. Sure. However a kid comes in, if it's, if it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. Go ahead. So she begins the process of trying to get pregnant while we switched the paperwork. And we just thought like, whatever happens first. So we get this woman, Diana at all blessings contacts me. She's like, Oh my God, I've matched you with the perfect child. Um, you're going to flip out. He's five. He's adorable. He's amazing. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. We have a son. We have a son. And for some reason in my mind, I was like, we do have a son. Cause I always thought I was going to have a daughter. So I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, I see it. I see the backpack and the high tops. Totally, yeah. So I run upstairs and I, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I tell Heidi and she's like, this isn't right. And I was like, what? 
are you talking? What are you talking about? Like, we've been at this for years. What do you mean this isn't right? She's like, I don't know. It's not going to work out. And I was like, are you crazy? Like, did you just bump your head? What do you mean it's not? Like, with the first fight, I would honestly tell you, most likely that we ever had. And I was like, you're insane. This is nuts. Like, what's the matter with you? I don't even understand what you're talking about. She's like, I'm not saying no. I'm just telling you this isn't going to work. And I was like, okay, let's go to bed. I don't even want to talk to you right now. She wakes up the next morning, comes out of the bathroom with her pregnancy stick. She's pregnant. Stop it. And I was like, oh my God, no. So what did you feel in that moment when she came out with a pregnancy test? I literally did not know what was up or down because I, I was like, there's no way I went through a year and a half and I was so committed and I felt that adoption was my, like suddenly I had this epiphany when I saw that little girl. I was like, this is my calling. This is what I'm supposed to do. So I called Diana at the adoption agency and I was like, okay, we need to have a real talk. I'm gay. I have a partner. She's pregnant. I just, I need to tell you the truth because things have changed. So she's like, okay, you know what? I'm not so sure this is a match because I think this little boy needs a family with a father. She's like, but why don't we, because this is not typical. She's like, why don't you go down there? on a mission to check out the organization, bring supplies, you know, on a, like a, a trip, a charity trip of sorts. And just, just let's see what happens. So we get there and I, I don't know, Heidi must've been a month pregnant. Maybe we went a week later and Heidi's like, look, I'm going to go with you, but I'm just telling you it's not going to work. And I was like, stop saying that. Were you feeling incredibly disappointed? Were you still optimistic? Okay. You were feeling done. 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 I wanted to go home. I was like, I don't even want to deal with this. I want to go home. So I'm like, all right, great. So I'm sitting, I just didn't even want to, I'm sitting talking to, I think one of the women that works there at one of, one of the orphanages and Heidi comes around the corner holding this little girl and she's like sobbing. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing, dude? Just stop. Like, I just want to go home. Like, don't, don't do this. Like, let's just go home. And she's like, this is our daughter. This is her. And I was like, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't get to pick a kid. It's illegal. Like you can't, it's not a thing. Let's just go home. I want to go home. She's like, just hold her. And I was like, I don't want to hold her. I don't want to hold her. I want to go home. Puts her on my lap. And I literally feel Lou just go, shh. I have, I have a photo of it. Wow. I, in that moment was felt like, like I got hit by lightning. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, and I, I was like, Oh my God, like this is, this is her. This is her. How old was she at the time? 18 months. So I called Diana and I was like, okay, I don't even know what you're going to say to this, but there's a little girl and she's ours. I'm sure of it. She's like, Jillian, I'm so, and I was like, Diana, I'm telling you. And she's like, I don't even know if she's been adopted. I don't know if she's been matched with someone. And I was like, I am telling you, this is our daughter. So she calls me back the next day and she's like, look, I'm really sorry. Lucencia is going to Germany. And I was like, Germany? Are you sure? She's like, yeah, she's matched. And I was like, are you sure? Because in your mind, you're just like, how could I be so wrong about all of this? 
Had you let yourself feel like her mom or was that even something you were in control of at the moment? Where was your head at? Uh, quite honestly, I don't even know how to describe it because on one hand, you're like, yay, we're having a kid because Heidi's pregnant. Right. But on the other hand, I'd spent almost two years pursuing this path that looked like it wasn't going to work out. So I want to say two months later, we were in Japan and I got an email and it just said, I have it somewhere. It was something like, Lucencia, either Lucencia is available. You can be her mom if you want. And I just was like, yes, 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 yes. And it turns out, I, I to this day don't know the details, but something happened. And her adoption fell through and Diana was like, we're going to match you with Lou. So your gut instinct was right. I mean, I got to give it to Heidi because she, I hate to say found her, but she did find her in this place amongst, I don't know, 60 kids, maybe. I don't know. It was bizarre. I wish everything in life was that serendipitous. Now, well, Heidi's three months pregnant. And I begin uh, to do the investigations with the State Department and to do what's called parquet court. And it was a, it was a a process, obviously. So tell me a little bit about that process, because I think a lot of our listeners are going through this or will be curious. What's involved? I had stacks, stacks of paperwork. I had to get like letters from the police, chest x-rays, blood work. Like, I don't even, like they literally crawl inside you and look around. Like everything and anything you've ever done in your life goes on record. You're investigated. You have home studies. It's like, I it took just that. I was like, Oh my God, your bank accounts, your tax returns, your medical history, your friends, your family, every, everything is literally dissected. After that, how many months was it before you were able to go to Haiti to bring her back to the States? Once you finish the home study, and you have a complete dossier, which takes forever. I don't remember how long. I want to say at least six months to a year. Then you get matched with a with a child. And then in Haiti, there's a State Department investigation. You have to go through multiple steps in parquet courts. And I think there were 14. And I don't even remember them all. You have to appear in court. If there are birth parents alive, they have to appear and it needs to it needed to be signed off by the president. Forgive me, it's been she's 11, so it's been 9 years. Did Lou have birth parents that you knew of who were alive? Her mom. Um her birth mom. I don't really know that much. And the timing is such if I'm right that it was after the earthquake, 4 months after the earthquake. She was pregnant with Lou because it happened in January of 2010 and was born in April of 2010. That's incredible. Yeah. So I just don't, I don't know. And it sucks because I can only tell her what I know. I don't know much. Yeah. So I imagine this time period where you're going through all of this is a bit of a roller coaster because nothing's a guarantee. And at every turn, it's kind of like, is this going to go well? Were you feeling nervous and anxious? Like, how did you go to sleep at night? How did you kind of keep going with your life with all of this in the backdrop? Oh, God. I mean, I was focused on Heidi's pregnancy. So it was very bizarre. It was like you have these two worlds going on. Like, when one, you know, you're watching an ultrasound. And on the other, it's like, okay, we got through this step of stage you know, 14. And you're like gently emailing. 
And how many times did you go to Haiti in that six-ish month Twice. period? Twice. And were you able to see Lou on those visits? Yeah. And that was probably a mistake. Was it incredibly difficult to see her and then leave? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it was really hard on her. Um, did she know that you were her mom at that point? Yeah. Yeah. So the second time I went... She stayed with me at the guest house. So they have, they called it the guest house. So she wasn't in the orphanage. I'm going to be hysterical. Well, I'm already crying. So, so she, she like, she, they kept telling her like, this is your mama. This is your mama. And so she was like, rad, you're my, you're my mama. She's like, I don't know. She like knew right away. She's like, mama. So I don't remember how many days must have been like three or four days, I think, that she was with me towards the second trip, I think. Because the first one, she didn't stay with me. I had to go do all this stuff. The second one, she stayed with me. They're like, she can stay with you. And like, here she is with me in this little room 24-7. I'm feeding her. I'm changing her diapers. I'm holding her. She's sleeping in a bed with me. And this is a child that was in, you know, a very different situation. And so... For some reason, I'm like going back to the airport and she's laying in my lap. And this kid never, like never was a fussy, like never. And all of a sudden she's like unraveling in the car. And my mom was like, don't freak out. Don't do it. You're going to really upset her. You like hold it together. And when you leave, you can call me. So she was screaming and crying and holding on to me. And I had to like, oh, it was the worst. <laughs> I don't think I would have done it again because it was awful. I, I'm not so sure it was the best thing. I don't know. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jillian would be back to pick up Lou and take her home very soon. All they were waiting for at that point was the visa. But in the meantime, back in LA, her partner Heidi was about to give birth to their son, Phoenix. So I want to know like the exact timeline because I had read somewhere that we're talking like 72 hours. If that, if that, yeah. And then I also want to hear about Phoenix's birth and all of that, but she has a C-section, right? Oh my God. The most difficult. I, I wrote a whole book about what Heidi with five different doctors because I found it to be so frustrating, some of the things that she went through. And then while Heidi was in labor, we got the notification that Lou got her visa. 
And how did you get that notification? An email, a phone call? I have a photo of Heidi. I mean, it's like with the oxygen mask in the hospital bed, holding up a picture of Lou's visa. So when you get that notification, do they say like, come immediately, come in the next few days? What is that like? Yeah, ASAP. I'm like, oh, okay. So did you book a flight from the hospital? I honestly don't freaking remember. Oh, God. Are you both sobbing at this point when the email comes through and you see that little photo of Lou? She had been going, Heidi had been having a tough time. And I think we were both like, okay, we got to get through this. You know, and Heidi was just not accepting it. You know, it was like, nope, I'm going to do this. And I was like, you're not going to do it. You can't do it. You know a lot about people's bodies, what they can handle. Did you have a sense at some point like that a C-section? Oh, I knew the whole time because she's 95 pounds. She's literally 95 pounds. And wasn't Phoenix a big baby? Huge. He was nine pounds. So I knew I was like, Heidi, I just, I don't think so, dude. So she was two weeks late and finally they're like, all right, we have to induce you. So they start out with the Pitocin drip, break the water, strip the membrane, and she's not dilating. God, she went through it all. We're at hour 13, and the drip, I think, was at like 25. The contractions are coming on like an earthquake. She's in so much pain, and she won't take painkillers. She's like sobbing. So what are you feeling in this moment? Oh, my God. So frustrated, you know, which is because I'm like, knowing it's not, you know what I mean? I'm knowing that she's going through this for nothing, but it's like for her, I guess her mind, I I get that. It's like, you need to dot every I and cross every T, but we're ending up exactly like in my mind. I'm like, why are you doing this? I'm watching her in so much pain. Nothing. She's not dilating. I think she was at maybe two and a half. This is like exactly what happened to me. I got up to three and that was it. By the time we get to our Point eight, nothing. We're at like a three and a half. She's not dilating. And the nurse comes to me and she's like, okay, she's starting to get a fever. The baby's heart rate is getting irregular. And I was like, okay. So I called our doctor and I was like, you got to come. It was at the middle of the night. And I was like, if you don't come, I'm going to get some Michael and some exacto blaze. I'm going to get him out of there. Like, right. <laughs> out. Like, you got to come. They wheel Heidi into the little room and she's like, do you feel anything? And Heidi's like, I feel tapping. I feel tapping. And she's like, I've already opened your stomach. <laughs> like, I'm like, you're fine. It's okay. It's okay. Did you watch? Did Like, were you looking over? The- oh, no. No, I hate blood. So I was by her head and there's the, you know, the curtain thing. And I was like, oh my God. Cause like, I, I will legitimately hate blood. So the next thing I know, I hear the doctor go, what a big baby. And she's like, I'm so sorry. Like I usually make a scar this big. I had to make a, like a bigger incision. That's the first thing she said. And I was like, when is it okay? Because like, I was like, if I see intestines or anything, I'm, gonna, I'm done. I can't. It'll be like out of a movie. Yeah. They're like, hold on, hold on. So I just remember somehow there was like a person over here and a person over here on the opposite side holding like, and I was like, oh, look, there's that little human that's been in there. That's fascinating. Like it was so surreal. And then they brought him over to the little scale thing, I think it was. And he held my finger. Oh. He caught the little umbilical cord and I was like, whoa, (laughs) 
Did you cut the cord? I did cut the cord. I was okay with the cord. I'm impressed with that. My husband could not handle that. The cord I can handle. He was holding my finger. And I just remember being like, look at this. (laughs) It was just so weird to me to like, look at this little human. This is crazy. Look at it. (laughs) And, um, And then I brought him over to Heidi. And poor thing. She was so sick. They put him on her chest and she threw up. And I was like, oh, man, this whole thing has just gone so far south. Do you remember the first thing you said when you met Phoenix? No. (laughs) I remember the first thing I thought, but it's totally inappropriate. Oh, well, now you have to tell me. He's a very healthy kid. I was like, what? I mean, it it was a bit shocking. I was like, is that possible? Like, it was... That is the first, like, I literally was like, how is that possible? But then I was like, all right, dude, grab my finger. Like, (laughs) oh my God, I love it. Okay, so I want to shift back to Lou's story. So you, you go, you, for the third time to Haiti, you get on the plane. I would imagine at this point, like, you're sleep deprived, you are exhausted, you're a new mom to Phoenix. What are you feeling when you get on that plane ride? Oh my God. I was so relieved. I was so glad it was over. There's this tiny little human that is for the most part alone in the world. My daughter, she was surrendered at 10 months old. She spent 12 months in a room, the size of my master bathroom. She was not stimulated. She was not held. She look, I don't want to crap all over this orphanage. They were actually one of the great ones. They really were. But I mean, you've got like three women and 60 kids. And anything can happen to her. And I mean anything. She can get bit by a malarial mosquito, right? She can get bad microbe in her water. Like this happens in the developing world. Like we all know this. Hurricane, who knows? It sucks. I would never change it, but yeah, wow, it's not fun. When did you allow yourself to feel relief and exhale? Was it when you got on the plane, when you got the email? That visa. Yeah. The visa, I was like, we're done. She's American. Game over. She is a citizen. She belongs to the United States of America. Um, She's also a Haitian citizen, but it's like, that's it. She's mine. It's official. So at that point, you're like, all right, I just got to get there now. I just got to get there. So tell me about going to the orphanage. Oh, my God. I almost forgot this. So they told her I was coming. She runs to me, runs to me, gives me this big hug. And then pulls away from me and smacked me in the face. Why? She was super pissed about the fact that I had left. And then hugged me again. And I mean, that child did not leave my side. Six months. Did not leave my side. Wow. Like if I showered, she'd be outside the shower door, screaming on the shower door, Mama, Mama. And I was like, dude, right here, buddy. When I went through security... I think I put her down to take some stuff off and she climbed me and I was like, we're okay. She'd wake up in the middle of the night. She'd be like, stand up on her crib. And she's like, mama. And I was like, I'm here. I'm right here, buddy. Like for, I don't know how long. Do you remember what Lou was wearing on the plane ride home? Yes. Pink jeans and a white tank top and some little sneakers Sitting on my lap, because I have a picture of that too. And like, she was just the boss. Pink jeans. What's better than that? I don't even know why we had pink jeans. I don't even know where they came from. 
So tell me about when you introduced the siblings. I want to know, like when you brought Lou home, Phoenix is, you know, days old. She literally like walked over because he was in this little like crib and she like pointed at him like, who, what is that? And it, had you told her on the flight home that didn't speak any English? Wow. Except mama. Because I say mama in Haiti. So she, I couldn't say like, oh, you have a brother. She was just, she was just like, what is this smushy creature? What? I don't understand. Look at it. The dogs freaked her out. She was like, oh. you know, she hadn't seen dogs before. The bathtub, she was like, <laughs> wow, I hadn't even thought of all of those things that she'd be exposed to for the first time. You mentioned that at some point when she's ready, you'll bring her back to Haiti. Do you have a sense of when that might be? We've talked about it and talked about it and she's just not there. She did say to me, do you think God made me forget something like, do you think, because she doesn't remember any of it, obviously. She's like, do you think God made me forget because it's too painful or something like that or hurt too much? This is years ago when she said that to me. And I just, honestly, I was like, maybe. Right now, she really just wants to be an American kid. Like that's, you know, she doesn't know anything else. She's an American kid. So I don't know that she's necessarily looking for something to make her feel any different than that, if that makes any sense. Jillian sent some amazing videos and photos to us, including Lucenzia in those pink jeans sitting on her mom's lap on the plane ride home. You can go to people.com to see them. In the United States, more than 40% of adoptions are transracial, but the realities of raising a child of a different race are really, really complicated. We wanted to reach out to an expert who helps prepare parents for going down this path. Rhonda Rorda was adopted at the age of two into a white American family. She's written several books on the topic, including In Their Voice, Black Americans on Transracial Adoption. And she was an advisor to the creators of This Is Us, which tells the story of a family that includes an adopted black son. I started by asking her what she would tell white adoptive parents if they were bringing a black baby into their family. How you care for that child is critical because as adoptees, we're watching. What that means is, first of all, have you done as white adoptive parents, done the work in knowing about the community in which this child is coming from? And how are you looking at this community? And so I imagine when you say do the work, Part of that is before you bring the child home, but a lot of that is continuing that work and that conversation and that thoughtfulness once the baby and the child is with you and growing up and a part of the family. Absolutely. Let me say this. I believe in transracial adoption. I have seen it done well. But I also want to say the stakes are high. When I was adopted, I had to learn the culture, the language, the rhythm of my new parents. I had to cross all of my comfort zones in order to love them. And a trip to Disney World is not going to help ease that pain. A new wardrobe or 
when you get older, a new car, that does not, money is not going to ease the loss of leaving your homeland, your community of origin, or in my case, my mama. And that's where we're seeing families fragmented because we have operated on a colorblind policy and it is not effective. Let's talk a little bit about colorblindness and talking about race when you're parents um, in a transracial adoption situation. How early are you talking about race? How early are you talking about a child's story and narrative and background and ancestors? Well, I think you're talking about race as soon as race happens. So this is happening to kids at two, three, four, five. So we have to know how to talk to kids about race in a child- appropriate way. So in other words, if it's from the very beginning, making sure that that child has books where there's images that look like her or him, where there are toys that they can see themselves, where there are books that show experiences like that of transracial adoptive families. Um, When we see ourselves within our home, we begin to believe we are included within that family. And that gives us confidence. And then when we have these difficult things that happen to us, we're more trusting that if we share this with our family, they are going to take it seriously. With colorblindness, what happens is you start trying to not see your brown skin. Then you try to do something with your wide nose and suck in your thick lips. And you're cringing over your hair. Now, we're seeing dynamic transracial adoptive families that are being proactive and understand that hair is a crown. There is something beautiful. It's, and I know I talk a lot about that, but it's about having a spiritual connection to communities of color. I have a Cameroonian hairstylist, and I can tell you, she's been my hairstylist for over 20 years. When she touches my scalp and my hair and washes it, there is some, there's a spiritual connection you know, I, I think my mother tried. I think she tried to braid my hair. I think uh, she did. But again, long term, when you're 10 and 12 and 13, and if I look at my pictures, it was almost like I looked neglected. And so now we go into this. Priorities. It is expensive to manage beautiful braids. It is expensive. It probably costs more than if you put a child into soccer practice. But that is part of caring for that child. Are there other day-to-day things that might seem minor or might be overlooked by white parents like hair that you sort of see come up over and over again or perhaps that you experienced yourself? Or is hair really the big one? 
I think hair is the big one. I think going to family reunions and you hear where someone got their brown eyes and where someone got their height and their personality. All these things as adoptees, we long to know. Before I try to pretend I didn't have the beautiful skin I have and the wide nose and the white, I try to erase all that until I realized it was killing me. But to really look and say, you are, there are other people that look like you. Um, You are also connected to a community and legacy in addition to your adoptive family. You have to understand transracial adoption. You have to understand the history in America. So you need to love on these kids. You need to care for these kids. You need to advocate for these kids because we go out into this world and we have to move in a different way. That's it for this episode of Me Becoming Mom. Next week, we bring you another incredible story. This one is from fitness guru and Instagram superstar Emily Skye, who had a very dramatic, very emotional, and ultimately very happy, unexpected home birth. I'm going to tell you guys right now, she delivered on her daughter's playmat while her daughter was trying to play horsey with her. And yes, they had to replace that playmat. When you're not planned for a home birth, you know, it's quite shocking and scary. And Declan's on the phone trying to get an ambulance because I said, you've got it, like, he's coming now. I was just screaming at, he's coming now. And I started going, get my undies off. I've got to get them off. And hot tip, Emily's episode is coming a day early on Wednesday so that you can spend all of Thursday eating turkey and hanging out with your families. I know I'm looking forward to giving my son his very first bite of turkey and mashed potatoes. I'm Zoe Ruderman with People. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is produced by People in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Andy Cubis, Jason Mack, Brian Rivers, Elisa Sessler, and Suzanne Semeloff. Our executive producers are Lauren Mickler, David Flumenbaum, and me, Zoe Ruderman. Thank you so much for listening.